0: The following is a teaching message from the Chapel in Te For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. This morning we're back in uh, Genesis 3 as we reflect on the consequences of man's rejection of God's authority. Last Sunday in the first seven verses of Genesis 3 we looked on as the woman was enticed by the deceptive invitation of the serpent and by the fruit that we're told was good for food, pleasing to the eye but more than that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. And the woman rejects God's warning, she rejects God's command she rejects God's authority. And she takes the fruit and she eats from it. And then she gives some to her husband who also eats. And we're told that then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Genesis 1 and 2 spoke to us of of a perfect beginning. And in Genesis 3, 1-7, we have the record of the beginning. It's called the fall. We refer to it as the fall. And it's the beginning of evil, of, of sin in the human story. We've come so far from this perfect image of the man and his wife with God in the garden. And so begins both suffering and hope. Suffering because of man's sin and God's holiness and hope because of God's love and his grace. Picking up the story, we read from verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the call cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answer- and he answered, Here, I-, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God said, so, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, that woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. How quickly things have changed. Last week she was bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And now it's like, she's that woman you gave me. That woman you put here with me. And the Lord God said to the woman, where is what is this that you've done? And the woman said, "The serpent deceived me, and I ate." So the Lord God said to the serpent, "Because you have done this, curse you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between her your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and she so he will crush your head, and you will strike at his heel." To the woman he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you have listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you that you must not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful Oil you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. As I reflect on this passage and on its consequences, the, the suffering caused that that results from God's the rejection of God's authority, I, I firstly look at the first thing: that their eyes were open and they knew good and evil. In a sense, their nakedness is, is the source of shame, but it's really only symbolic of something much deeper that has happened within them. It, re- 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 it speaks of a, a greater sense of uh, vulnerability. I was trying to think how to capture this in words, and the best I can think of is you've got someone you greatly respect. And you've done something that you know is going to hurt them terribly. And it's that moment when you realise that they're they're going to find out. And you you just feel that deep within there's something. Well, if you take that feeling, if you've ever had that feeling, I know I've had that feeling, if you've ever had that feeling, take that and multiply that a hundred times. Because this was God's perfect creation. And Adam and Eve had walked with God in the cool of the garden. And now they were afraid. And they hide from each other. Prior to creating the woman, God had said, it's not good for man to be alone. And then after creating the the woman for the man, and they're together as one, and God says, it's very good. And now those one flesh, they're hiding from each other. Something significant and serious has changed. And they're hiding from the creator of the universe. They're hiding from God himself. Here's the creator of the universe out for a quiet walk in the garden in the cool of the evening. I just love that picture. I kind of hope that's also a picture of what it's going to be like one day when we're in heaven and we're just going to hear the footsteps of God as he comes looking for us. And we won't have to hide But as God comes walking through the garden and he's expecting to find the man and his wife and instead they're hiding. How many in our world today are hiding from God? The whole society is hiding from God. All sorts of reasons why we would hide from God. Now, we may not be able to hear his footsteps in the garden in the cool of the evening, but we can see his fingerprints all over this creation. If you can't, have a chat to Glenn. Have a chat to me. I know for both of us, it's one of those things, we just love looking into the complexity of God's creation and the immensity of God's creation. His handiwork is there for us all to see. And yet we hide from him. We pretend he doesn't exist and we don't have to be accountable to him. But like that other sinking feeling, I believe most of us, if not all of us, at some point in our lives have that sense that there is a God and that we are accountable and still we look for ways to run and hide. And work becomes hard We're told that God had taken the man and placed him in the garden. He planted this garden specially for man to take care of. He'd planted the man, placed the man in the garden to take care of it. This was to be his joy. This is again symbolically, this is more than just a garden to work in. This was this was about meaning and purpose of life. This is what man was created for. We're told later, and we'll come to the verse again later. We're told that God has created works in advance for us to do, and he's created us to do them. There's this perfect meshing. So, so Adam was created to take care of this garden, and this garden was taken to give meaning to Adam as he learnt to rule over creation. And the thing that was meant to bring him joy, where he's able to walk through the garden and just, you know, if you are a gardener, you can imagine the joy of going out each morning and all you're seeing is more fruit in the garden and no weeds. That's got to be a joy. But now, as he goes out, it's a source of frustration. This now he works by the sweat of his brow. He used to be able to walk through the garden and pick the fruit of any tree by one. Whatever fruit you choose, whatever your favourite fruit happened to be, you can just grab it and it's, it's not only a beautiful apple or a beautiful pear or a beautiful pineapple, it is the best pineapple you've ever had. And now you can't do that because it's going to take work and work has become hard. Pain and suffering. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Do you get the sense of futility that has entered in? From a sense of fulfilment of caring for this garden and enjoying its fruit to now the sense of futility. And childbearing becomes painful. The most significant thing that a man can do is to do the work that God has prepared for him to do. But for a woman, why is it that we have demeaned childbearing? So much. The man goes out to work and the wife just stays home and looks after the children. How demeaning is that? I've often joked that back in the day when the husband went out to look after the 50 sheep and the wife stayed home looking after the 10 kids, I'd be happier out looking after the 50 sheep. That's a whole lot less work than being at home, not working. See, I believe that childbearing and raising is the most significant calling that God gave. In 1865, an American poet by the name of William Ross Wallace wrote a poem. And we barely remember the poem, but we remember the last two lines of each stanza. It says, for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. More than any generation before us, we understand the impact on the life of a child, of a mother, from the point of conception. Right down to things like nutrition and the health and the well-being of the mother, and then the raising of that child through the early formative years. That is the most significant thing. And I think of some of the hymns of the past, I think of John and Charles Wesley... I don't think of the other 21, 19 children that Susanna Wesley had, but I read of Susanna Wesley's impact on the life of her children. In a few weeks' time, we'll come to Genesis 5, and it says, When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Now we figure out there were actually a whole bunch of kids before this, but the fascinating bit for me is he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. Now the reality is his wife had the son. And remember when Adam and Eve were created, they were created by God, male and female, in his likeness and in his image. And so this woman not only gets to bear a child, she gets to bear an image bearer of God. That's an incredible privilege. Whatever else a woman does, and if you look through Scripture, man, there are so many things that women do. So many fields of endeavour. If you want to look at Proverbs 31 for a start, or you look at the New Testament, Lydia, the maker, of, uh, seller of purple, there were so many women, did so many things, but surely the greatest thing that any human being gets to do is to carry and bring to life an image bearer of God and now this privilege will come with suffering and pain I will make pain, your pains and childbearing very severe with painful labour you will give birth to your children your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you Suffering and hardship not only come, but they cut across the very purposes for which God has created. And in regards to that second part of that statement, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, I've got three comments. Firstly, they're not my words. They're God's words. Which is always a good out and the advantage of preaching scripture because you can argue with him. Secondly, as in the rest of the statement, it seems to me that they are descriptive, not prescriptive. God says, this is what I see happening. This is what it's going to be like. This is what I see. Not what I want. See, what God wants was perfection. God wanted life to be beautiful and pain-free. And he wanted the husband and wife, as we read later in Ephesians 5.21, he wanted the husband and wife to submit to one another. And even after the fall, even by the time Paul is writing, God still wants the husband and wife to submit to one another. And the third thing is, if he is ruling over, just remember that our ultimate example of the rule in the kingdom of God is that we have a king who comes and kneels at the feet of his followers. And he washes their feet. And the next day, as he's nailed to a cross. He's praying for the forgiveness and salvation of those who are nailing him to that cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Our only reason we have a problem with a husband ruling over his wife is we forget what Jesus taught us about what rulership looks like. And again, Paul says that a husband should love his wife as Christ loved the church, and laid his life down for her. And then the serpent loses his ability to walk. That always fascinated me. God says to the serpent, Because you have done this, curse to you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and his, and he will crush your head and you will strike at his heel. I used to wonder about it. Do snakes ever walk? And then I saw a number of years ago an article which was a fossil had been discovered in South America of a snake with legs. And I was saying, that is cool. And then I went to Google it to try to find it. There are so many examples of fossils of snakes with their legs. And there is a snake group known as Nahash. It's a Hebrew word for a name. In the fitting Phine- moniker, it's, draw- its name is drawn from this story. It's a snake with legs. It used to walk on two legs. And its named is for, from this Bible story, because it uses the Hebrew word, even though these snakes are found in South America. Snake fossils. And now it's fascinating, because back in the day, we would have just said, oh, the snake lost its legs. But today with what we know, there was a foundational shift in the DNA of that snake. Because it didn't lose its legs and then go on to have snakes after it. That was like the, the one and only. There's this whole series of snakes, fossils, that used to walk and now they don't. And so something in the DNA changed. And in fact, when we look at this whole creation, this whole fall story, the change that occurred was right down to a level of the DNA. We're not told that God created thistles and thorns that day. Something changed in the DNA of some of the plants, and they ceased being beautiful, and they began to become problematic. Mel Gibson in his portrayal of the passion of the Christ draws on the symbolism, and I love it, in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus is kneeling and praying that God would take this cup from him and there is this snake slithering through the dust. And Paul later, when writing to believers at Rome, his final chapter is filled with all these personal greetings. And in the middle of these he writes, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery they deceive the minds of of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, uh, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. It's fascinating to me that it's the God of peace. Not the God of hope and joy, the God of creation. It's the God of peace who will crush Satan. That just strikes a chord in my heart and mind. And he will crush Satan under the feet of believers. Ultimately, the Satan is crushed under the feet of Jesus as Jesus is crucified, but there is a reality that God crushes Satan under the feet of believers. And so the shift comes from suffering to hope. Yes, life will get hard. And there will be enmity, there will be hostility between the serpent and the woman, between his offspring and his. And her offspring, both Christ himself and us, will crush his head and he will strike at our heel. But the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. We will be victorious. God has provided the strength and the power to overcome the enemy. And in Genesis 3:20 we have a promise of hope when Adam names his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living God had said when you eat from this fruit you will die and they did die but not immediately God's plan is that she would still become the mother of all living God's not going to write us all off in fact God knew before he created Adam that they would sin and rebel. Such is his love. He has not given up on us. He has not given up on humanity, although he's got close a couple of times, but he does not give up. And then in Genesis 3:21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and He clothed them. They had tried with such futility to cover their nakedness and their shame with garments made of leaves. Such futility. We try in all our good works to do something, but in fact, one of our biggest problems in our culture today, in our society today, is we think we can resolve problems without inflicting pain. You know, 87% of New Zealanders voted against the anti-smacking and they introduced the anti-smacking. And that's about as long ago as some of these kids were born that are now driving cars through shopping malls. We want to teach people there really aren't any consequences. You've just got to learn a bit and grow a bit. But there are consequences. There are pains to be had. When a child puts their hand on stovetop and burns their hand, that is not a punishment, that's a consequence. But when the child moves towards the stovetop and the mother smacks the hand, that's a punishment. It's saying there's pain associated with activity. And at the moment it's kind of a symbolic pain. But if you touch that, the pain's going to be all too real. And our society wants to to deny that there are consequences to rejection of God because they want to continue to live their own way. However, in this act of killing this animal, God also begins to point the way to a means by which our sins may be covered and ultimately forgiven. Because to this point, Adam and Eve had never seen death. The whole creation was very good. There was no suffering and death. And now, for the first time, they watched one of those beautiful animals. I've got a friend, I've shared this before, but I'll share it again. I've got a friend of mine who's uh, from Egypt and um, Newman in Melbourne. And he shared communion one Sunday and he, he talked about the sacrificial lamb. And he said, What brings it home for him is he remembers as a young fella, they used to have pet chickens that would run through the house. Until one day, one of the pet chickens disappeared. And they had chicken for dinner. And he said, that's what the Passover lamb was like. This was one of the lambs who until the night before was running around and was the pet lamb. And now you're watching it on your plate. You're understanding suffering and death. You're understanding the consequences of sin and what the price is for salvation. And so as they watched that animal lose its life and its blood poured out on the dust to provide a covering for their nakedness. So we have now stood by and watched as the Son of God himself bled out into the dust to provide a covering for our sin. And then the chapter closes. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. I said last week it seems that somehow this tree of life sustains life and brings healing. And so there is a sense, one of the consequences of this is that Adam and Eve are now driven from the garden. They can no longer access this tree of life and live forever and in a sense that's part of the pain and the suffering. But if we think that's where it ends, we miss a key part of the story. Because to live forever means to now to live forever in a broken, fallen world. But death now becomes a doorway to eternal life. Death goes from... This is is the power of God to redeem even the worst because even death now becomes a provision from God's hand. For as we pass through from death, life we no longer have to live forever in the midst of the suffering this life has so many problems and challenges and we grow through those, we become better people through those but that's not how I want to spend forever and we've been promised that there will be a new heaven and a new earth and he will wipe from our eyes every tear that's the hope we have And so as access to the tree of life is taken from us, the greatest gift is given to us. Because in the midst of suffering there is hope. There is always hope. Death has opened a way for those who trust in Jesus to enter his eternal presence, where all things are made new. And joy is complete. And things are not only as good as they were at the beginning, they are better than they were at the beginning. Revelation 21 and 22. Take a read. And so Paul declares, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living this body, it will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. What a heart of that man. Well, God wants us to live in this world we live every moment. As I quoted before, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work which he has prepared in advance for us to do. And as long as God wants me in this world to do something, I pray that I would hear what he wants and I would have the grace and the strength to do it. But when he calls me home... My final line written here is, however, this world is not our home. And just before the service, Richard and had put a BJ Thomas song on and it was exactly that words, those words. This world is not our home. We get so invested in this world that we allow the things of this world to take our eyes off the one who loves us more than we could possibly imagine. He leaves us here to reveal his kingdom in this life. But he promises us that there is a welcome home that awaits us. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatutu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz